Pete Simmons, and you're listening to Sonic Perspectives. Hey, Andy, welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. It's a real pleasure. Thanks, Robert. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it, too. And I love your new CD. We're here to talk about um, Electric Truth, which is coming out April 1st. So it's really, really great. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thanks for, thanks for checking it out. I appreciate that so much. And I've always been a big fan of yours, too, even back from the Danger Danger days. <laughs> you're, you're older than I thought, then, maybe. Yes, I'm, we're probably the same age, yeah. Okay, yeah, so that goes back to uh, roughly 1989, I suppose. Right. So. I, used to see you, I used to see you in <laughs> Studio One and Club Binet, so that's, I'm showing my age right there. Yes. Well, you're showing. You're, you're definitely showing your location in, yes. in New Jersey, in, in New, solidly in New Jersey with Club Bonet and Studio One. Yeah, it. very fond, very fond memories. Now, what a couple of great rock and roll venues back in the day. Yes. Are they still there? Are those people no. still there? Or? They're, they're oh, gone. No. I don't think they exist like, at all. Like most of the great old clubs, I suppose. You know. Yeah, I don't, and Studio One's not there either. You know, we we do have a new one called Starland Ballroom, which is really good. It's been around for okay. quite some time. So. Which what, what town? What, what town is that? Uh, bon Jovi's hometown, Sayreville. Sayreville, Sayreville, of course. <laughs> Beautiful, awesome, man. Yeah, so maybe you come out here someday and you can play it and come. I see would it. love that. I would love to come cool. to Sayreville. Why not? Let's do it. Yeah. So some some artists were very creative during the twenty twenty one pandemic, and others felt very stagnant and uninspired. It seems like you were very productive during your downtime. Down this. Yeah, I, I mean, in some ways. I mean, my, my home life was no different because I, you know, I'm either in my studio or my office, both outfitted with guitar rigs, and I tend to spend most of my time, you know, when not dealing with biz or whatever, it's, it's, it's just trying to be creative, and so I did, I wrote an awful lot, but I also, I saw a friend of mine um, on Facebook right when things kind of shut down, and I was trying to figure out, you know, what are we going to do, a buddy of mine, his name, um, Jared. Jarrett Reddick, he's a singer for a band called Bowling for Soup. Mm-hmm. And I kept seeing these po- these posts about, hey, I'm going to be on stage at Saturday, 2 p.m., 8 p.m., right? And, uh, and I thought, well, I, I, so I just reached out to him. It's not, I, we're not close, but I, we know each other well enough so I can send him a note and say, hey, man, show me the ropes here. How do I how do I do this? And he hooked me up with the, you know, the technical folks at, at Stage It, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it kind of got me up and running. But the funny thing was is that I... I thought he was doing two shows on the Saturday. What what his post meant was like, well, it's 2 p.m. U.S., 8 p.m. U.K. Because he's got a big fan base in the U.K. Right. But I had, it in, I had it in my head, oh, you do two shows. All right, great. I'll, I'll do two shows every Saturday. And I did one at 2 p.m. and 8 p.m. <laughs> uh, and so, but, I mean, it was kind of a pretty crazy work ethic that I had to get into because I, I would do two different shows every Saturday. So it was quite a bit of work to kind of juggle all that. But, again... Uh, it was it was a gig, and you know I guess I I would have doubled my gigs by by having that mentality. So I, I mean I think it was over 140 by the by you know whatever it was in the last year. Awesome. So yeah, I mean I was I was fortunate to have that kind of focus, and, but then also it was I was finishing up what became the Electric Truth record and writing a bunch of other material. Like I think a lot of artists couldn't help but you know we had all this time on our hands. So yeah, uh, good time to be creative and try to. Yeah. It is. You, you, you could yeah. between your matinee performance and your prime time performance, <laughs> you were able to get some work done about the solo albums. That's awesome. <laughs> well, I, w- I wouldn't go that far. I would say I had enough time to either have 
lunch or take a nap or or figure out you know or, or practice more for the for the for the, for the, for the second show. You know? <laughs> That's a great story. Um, you really explored different types of playing on this album, primarily the blues and jazz, in my personal opinion. What else yeah. do you feel you incorporated that maybe I didn't pick up on? Well, it's a lifetime. I mean, every every time. You know, I I, and this, I I think I can speak for every artist. Every time you step back into the studio or you or you write a new song, it's you're furthering along whatever journey you're on. What all, all your collective uh, experiences, musically and personally, are kind of leading up to that moment. You know what I mean? It's like it doesn't. It, it, it's like every gig I do. It's that gig is the most important gig I do. So I treat every recording and every gig. Like, hey, this is it. You know, I gotta, I gotta step up and do my best. Not that there's that huge pressure. It's just a matter of the goal is to. I hope I'm growing. You know, and and, and the beauty of this record for me was that I, I kind of went outside my circle in that it's not, it's not an Andy Timmons band record. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very much just a solo record. And I, I met this great guitar player, Josh Smith, who's decidedly from the blues world, but has a lot of jazz and rock and country influence, like I do, right? So. I, I just became a fan of his playing when I was seeing his YouTube videos, and we met telephonically. I, I, I basically, you know, found his number and called him just to say, "Hey, man, I love your playing. I love what you're doing." And we became friends, and he just invited me to his studio. Said, "Hey, man, I just finished my home studio. Come, come record." And, and I, it just kind of struck me like, "Yeah, let's do this." And but I said, "Look, I want you to produce, and I want to, I want you to pick the band because I always loved the bands that he put together mm-hmm. for his own stuff, which is very." kind of funky, bluesy, rock kind of stuff, right? right. Which just hits, hits home with me, even though I don't write, you know, ordinarily in that style. There's definitely some stuff on this record that I wrote kind of towards that vein, but then also by nature of having Josh as the producer and his band, it's, it's going to have a different flavor. It's going to bring different parts of my personality out, you know? Yeah, I thought it was real, well produced. Awesome. Look, yeah, you know, thank you. That's... that's uh, a lot of that's just the, the way the band plays, my sound, Josh steering the ship, and, and, and a great recording engineer named uh, Alan Hertz. Mm-hmm. He's actually a great, tr- he's a great drummer as well, but um, a killer engineer. I, I, I do love the sound of the record. I like, I like the drum and the bass sound particularly. And, you know, yeah, the, the, guitar's, the guitar's all right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> if, if you like that kind of thing. Yeah, I didn't even notice the guitar. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, who would pay attention to the drums and the bass? Man. Right, right. Was there anything that you did on this CD, maybe that you've never done before, that put you out of your comfort zone of playing? Um, I think part, some of the things I love is that I have, I've had a tendency with some of my later records to really fine tune the performance, meaning that if I don't like what I play live, mm-hmm. I'll re-record it or you know work on it for weeks and just perfect every note. But there's 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 a lot of stuff on this record that was performed live with the band, like this, the first single EWF, mm-hmm. which is very much a, kind of a, a loving tribute to Al McKay uh, from Earth, Wind, and Fire, right? right. It's, it's, it's the uh, thinly veiled EWF uh, initials, and so I, I love that. I mean, and I, I, you know, there might have been a note here and there that all oh, that's let me fix that or let me let me get a better performance. We just left it because the vibe. The vibe was so cool in the room that it just to change anything wouldn't have made sense. So I like that, you know, I at least I was well practiced enough at that point to to recognize, yeah, that what I played in the moment is really going to be the best, the best thing. So the, not, not, not the entire record is like that. There's another track called Shuggy that's live. 
you know, with a couple of overdubs. But then there's some of the ballads I would have gone in and really try try to keep just a cohesive take. But you know, I might I might have a few stabs at it, so to speak, like Grace or uh, When Words Fail. You know, which the ballads for me are always kind of kind of the home. The home. Those are what those kind of tend to be my comfort zone, just because that's I uh, I find them wonderful you know vehicles for expression and I. A good way to pour your heart into stuff, but so I think the record has kind of a good combination of all of that it is. stuff that's a bit out, a bit outside my comfort zone. Um, but the, the other, the other thing that might have been outside my comfort zone or my normal path is not really a discomfort, but it was, it was a joy to have a guy like Josh, you know, at the helm, so to speak. Where you know, it's usually me or my or my bass player or my engineer that either co-producing or producing with me. Um, but to have a, a really great guitar player. That was different, you know, for me. Yeah. They're all great music. All my guys are great musicians, but it's different when it's a guitar player's ears in the room. So I think that probably affected me wanting to step up even a little bit more, right? Because I've got my my brother. My brother over there is a, could you know play circles around me. So you know, let's, let's step it up. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and he plays. Josh plays on the track called Johnny T, which he wrote. Mm. Uh, specifically for me for the record and, and I gotta say I think it's the best solo on the record he, he just plays this kill and solo we trained a little bit at the end I think when most people you know that are fans of Josh's or mine found out it's, it's oh, Josh and Andy are doing a record together I think they thought it was gonna be this kind of guitar battle thing but that's neither one of us wanted that it's like, no. let's, just, let's just make a make a cool record and then and so far the response has been great I'm, I'm real happy with it cool um, yeah. You know, you, you touched upon this earlier in your response about spontaneity. Um, when you're yeah. recording your solos, are you doing them live or are you working them out note for note prior to play to recording them? Well, well, that's the thing. Yeah, some of these, like I say, like EWF and Shuggy would have been live with the band, and they're my two favorite solos that I did on the record. I okay. think, you know what I mean? Now, but, but but a majority of the other solos are improvised as well, but. I might have taken multiple takes okay. and then chosen chosen the one I wanted, but I did not. But as opposed to like a record like Resolution, which dates back as Andy Timmons made a record from 2006, uh, that's a that's a what what you would call a through composed record. Meaning before and by the time I I had those arrangements and what I wanted to play, nearly every note was pre planned. I knew exactly in my head what I wanted it to sound like. And it took it took me a minute to kind of give myself permission to do that because that's kind of antithetical to the jazz improviser. You know, he's mm-hmm. got to be a live, fresh take. Or this, I say jazz, even the studio musician, you know, like a Lukather or a Carlton, my, some of my other heroes outside of the jazz world. You know, that would be their ethos. And uh, so this, but so the the Electric Truth record is is much more like that you know okay. some of it's live with the band and if i did have to overdub it here at the house because that was the thing we did the record in two days with the band and then i had half a day before having to uh, go to, josh and i were playing at the nam show that's why i was in anaheim and we got to do those dates so i was going to fly back in march this is 2020 right so obviously nobody flew anywhere in march and I had to finish it at my studio here, which is not the way we wanted to do it, but it was the only way we can get it finished. And so I tried to keep as much of that, you know, live aspect to it in that, you know, I wouldn't, I didn't compose the solos, but I would, if I didn't like what I played, I'd just do it again. Got you know, it. But that's, that's also the beauty of having Josh sitting next to me in the room. It's like, no, that was great. Okay, let's move on. Where I would have gone, oh, let me try it again. You know? Yeah, keep noodling. So that's, it's, it's good to have another set of ears that you really respect. But we, I think we captured, you know, like I said, a, a different side of my personality, and 
because it might have brought out a bit more blues and funk and certainly some of the, more of the jazzy fusion stuff sneaking in. And that's, that's fun for me. I love doing projects like that. I did, I did a record called the, called the Red Coats the, the previous year, which was with uh, Greg and Matt Bissonnette. Okay. Which is total, total fusion and funk and, and they just sent me, they sent me the tracks. I just overdubbed it at my studio. So that was fun too because it, you know, it, it'll bring out a different side of my, my playing because I'll do, do plenty of my own records and I love that too. So, but I, because I love so many different styles of music, it's nice to have that outlet. Awesome. Kind of explore that. You know, um, are you conscious of balancing your technique and keeping the melody fresh while writing and recording? Like on the second song, which I'm going to butcher the name, a pop girl. It's called apocryphal. Apocryphal, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. It's a tough one, Jersey guy. It is a tough one. It's, it's, it's not a common word, but it's no. a very descriptive, very descriptive term. Yeah. I had to go look it up on uh, on the internet, and I still butchered it. But yeah. <laughs> I tried, I tried. <laughs> so tell me about that, you know, the conscious balance of the two. That's an interesting thing. I talked at length about this yesterday with a great friend of mine, Andy Allador, that produces my column for Guitar World magazine. Mm -hmm. And it's very much, you know, I think it's a, it's a maturing thing that over time, you know, early on in our guitar careers, we were, we're guitar players and we, you know, we're playing guitaristic things. But the more my the composer side of myself and the, just the lover of great melody comes through, then I tend to be definitely more aware of that. I'm, I'm first and foremost still a guitar player, so that part of my ego, you might call it, or that part of my um, compositional mind, it's, it's going to sneak in, and, I, and that, I think that's cool because I love I love guitar playing for guitar playing's sake. But I would say. Always winning for me is is melody over over technique. You know, I, I, in any musical situation, I just want to play what seems cool and right in the moment. It, so if it's if it's a soulful ballad, I don't need to play a lot of notes. Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's a song on the record called "When Words Fail," which kind of the title even kind of speaks to my feelings about it. You know, because the spoken word and the written written language is is, is very finite, and we can choose specific things to say and try to communicate and put things together a certain way. But I feel that the, the, uh, the, the musical language, the, the, the expressiveness of certain instruments, like a violin or certainly the guitar, I think can dig a bit deeper. And there's, 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 a, there's, a, there's a place in the chorus. The first chorus, uh, when words fail, and the second chorus as well, the first four bars, I don't play anything. And that's the chorus. Yeah. So that's pretty unusual. I just let the, I let the, there's some backing guitars that are kind of playing this arpeggio. I just let the chords take over. Like I don't have to play anything. That's beautiful. Yeah. And then when I, when I do say something, when I play something, it has that much more weight because like, wow, okay, well, what are you, what are you going to say? <laughs> what are we waiting for here? And hopefully it's beautiful and hopefully it, it has some impact. And I think it does. So there's, but then the, the back half of the chorus is very noty. So it's kind of an interesting study of, well, you can say nothing, you can say a little bit, or you can say a lot, as long as it serves that, that compositional arc of what I'd like to communicate, you know, and that can be, you know, an improvised solo, or that can be a you know, composed melody, but either one, is, I think, is coming from the same place. We're just wanting to play something that we would love, personally, and, and then, of course, you hope other, other folks resonate with that. No, that's a great response. And uh, on my personal favorite tune was uh, Take Me With You. It's a real rocking right. song, you know. Um, it starts off very subtle, and then it explodes. Uh, I'm yeah. assuming that's you singing it, right? No, actually, 
actually, um, I do sing on some of my stuff, but there's a, it's a guy locally here in Dallas that I asked to come sing these tunes. His name's Corey Pertil. Uh-huh. Okay. C-O-R-R-Y and then P-E-R-T-I-L-E, Pertil. And I just met him, a friend, a friend of mine, Nick Kinnerk, a great guitar player from mm-hmm. mine in town, had done, he'd done a, a duo record with them, and they, the guy just has a lovely, soulful voice. And so we'd done a couple of gigs together, um, just doing cover tunes. But I had these two songs, you know, Say What You Want and Take Me With You. I'd written the, the, all the melody, and I'd had like half the lyrics, and I just gave him the chorus of that. See what you hear, you see what you come up with lyrically. So he finished the lyrics. And then I came in and sang the tunes. And I think he did a great job, and I just, I just, I love his voice. And, you know, sometimes for the guitar player who sings, they don't always like to hear, they don't always like to hear the sound of their own voice. Yes, so yes. that would be neat. I mean, sometimes I like, sometimes I like my singing, but I, it's great to have, you know, it was with me on guitar and that band, it's like, well, let's get somebody that really does this. And I think he's, he has a great sound and really delivered, you know, the vibe of the tune that I was looking for, you know. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about with that situation. Yeah. Yes, it doesn't always yeah. come across. They need a singer, so but I it sounded yeah. a little bit like what I you know I imagined you to sound like. But yes, I got it. Well, thank you. Well, he's definitely he's, I, he had, he unfortunately had to try to sing how I had envisioned it. So he was kind of stuck to my my phrasing, which which for some singers I've learned over over time is like yeah, but you sing how you play, so it's not necessarily. <laughs> A usual thing, and sometimes rhythmically it can be a little challenging. But uh, but he did. I think he did a great job. But yeah. Thank, thank you for the uh, drawing the parallel there. Yeah, you know, and um, yeah. was there ever consideration to doing more songs like that, more rocking on this album, or perhaps you're going to do another album where you're going to let it loose with yeah. rock songs? I yeah. I mean, the, the the rock part of me is is always there, and I've, I've got quite a bit of material that would be exactly what you're talking about. It's just kind of figuring out the right way to, to finish it and what project it would be part of. But I love, it's like, it's like, you know, I love every bit of all of it, you know what I mean? And I think there was maybe a bit of a direction for me for this record in that, hey, I'm going to do it with Josh, so let me let me write some things that I think might be kind of cool for us to collaborate on. And then, like, Take Me With You, I already kind of started writing before that and thought, oh, here's a, here's a cool tune. Let's let's try this, you know. And it's got a bit of the Foo Fighters kind of rock at the end, which yes. I'm a big fan of. Yes. You know, you know what I mean. And that's so I love that energy. And yeah, you know, I I definitely think I've got a, a couple, three more of those kind of records in me. You know what I mean? I'd like to do uh, a more straight, you know, up up kind of rock record. You know. Yeah, I, I think you still so we'll you still it. have it from Danger Danger. I think you it's in there. <laughs> but, I mean, love to hear it. Never, it. It never goes away. I mean, I. <laughs> Yeah, I grew up in the '70s, just playing all the '70s arena rock from Kiss and Rush. Yes, yes. Nugent and Foghat, REO. That's my, <clears throat> that's my stomping ground. That's 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 you know, no matter what, I I went I went on to study classical and jazz, and I played every imaginable thing on the guitar, and I love it all. I really do. I love it all equally. But first and foremost, that's that's home. So that's always going to be a natural thing that I that I enjoy doing. Yeah, that's that's my bullseye too. You know, that's where that's right that's my passion. That's my love. You know, yeah, that's what I, and absolutely. Danger Danger fell right into it. How did you join uh, Danger Danger? You, you know, you don't seem like the typical. Hearing this background that you've been talking about, you don't yeah. sound like the typical rock guy, long hair. Yeah. That's that situation what? like hair metal band, which I don't. I hate that phrase, but you know where I'm going with it. I know. Well, it, it is what it is. What it is what it was. But no, it was kind of a it, my. It was a circuitous route, let's just say that, because as I mentioned, I had that 70s rock, you know, foundation, then went on to study in college with classical and then transferring to Miami to study jazz, and, you know, I'd become a very, very versatile, well-rounded player, 
Uh, but then, you know, I, I, about 1988, I formed my own trio in Denton, Texas, uh, called the Andy Timmons Band. I that was a brilliant title. And, you know, we, we started getting around it because, you know, Sigtriani and Vine, Ingve and Eric Johnson, all that, all those players are really quite well known. And, you know, there was band records on the charts and stuff. So I'm like, yeah, I just want to do that, you know. So we, we did some recordings and started gigging around and, and that demo tape cir- you know, circulated quite a bit and it got into the hands of Buddy Blaze. And Buddy was the artist relations guy for Kramer Guitars at the time. Right. And even though he was in New Jersey and Neptune, where Kramer was, he was from this area. He was a big part of uh, Dimebag's early career, built a yes, lot of those guitars. Yes, I remember, right. Anyway, um, so he knew this band, Danger Danger, that needed a guitar player, because I guess Bruno was a, uh, he was a Spectre based in Dorsey, which was Kramer. And they just kind of put the feelers out and solicited demo tapes. And they got, you know, probably hundreds of cassette tapes from guitar players all over the country, but somehow mine kind of rose to the top and uh, actually up two different times to audition. But yeah, it was like, yeah, well, yeah, don't cut your hair and lose 10 pounds. <laughs> you know, <laughs> all right, whatever. You know, and for me, it was weird. I, I kind of, I, what, what age was I at that time? I would have been, uh, you know, 24, maybe, years old, 23, 24. And so it's not like I'd given up on, you know, being a rock star in a rock band, but it really wasn't on my radar anymore. I was just, I was just trying to be a great musician, you know. Yes. And so, but for that offer to come along, I, I, I definitely recognized that hey, this is a great opportunity. You know, these guys have already got a record deal. They've, worked, they've already recorded the record. Actually, when I when I came in, they were remixing the record with Mike Stone, so I got to re-record a couple of solos. Tony Tony Bruno did the record, but he, he already had Soraya, uh, Soraya right. and didn't want to join, didn't want to join the band. So they basically thought, well, let's do the record and then we'll, we'll hire a guy to, to be our live guy and join the band. And that was me. So the second record, Screw It, was the first one I had full, uh, input and, and, uh, and got to record the whole thing. So, but as, as, as the session guy that I wanted to be, that was a kind of a, it was more, that was more my dream come true than, being in a rock band on MTV, which was cool, but hey, I'm, I'm on a record. My name's in the credits. You know, that was, that was at the, at the time of my career, that was kind of seemingly the holy grail, right? That, yes. that seemed like I won the lottery at this point, even though I had to work hard to win the lottery. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. yes. I, I made that comment to a guy when I was, when I first, you know, started getting success in the band. And he said, How'd you get, you like the same question you asked me, he said, How'd you get the gig in Danger Danger? And I would just very humbly said, Well, I guess I got lucky. Yeah. And uh, he kind of, he didn't get in my face, but he turned around and said, no, you did not. You worked your ass off your whole life, and you were ready when the opportunity came. And so I knew, I knew he was right. I mean, because that was very accurate. That was, I very blindly went about my career. I didn't go, okay, I'm going to go, go into this particular thing. I just, I just worked hard because I loved it, and I was always getting, so I, was, I, was, I could have done anything. In fact... When I got the Danger Danger offer, I also had an offer from Tower of Power to join that band. Okay, yeah. So look at that different, but that's a fork in the road, man. <laughs> yes. It's like, it couldn't be two more different, you know, types of bands, but I guess the, uh, the allure of the, of the glitz and glitter of MTV and, and that thing kind of won out. And yeah, who knows how things would have been different, but I, I wouldn't change anything because I love, I love that time of my life. I love the guys in the band dearly. They're all brothers and we went through a lot together. It's not easy. Yep. You always see these, you know, behind the music. Why are these guys having such a miserable time? All they got to do is make music. You know? <laughs> and and talk to each other. Once, yeah, you know, once you're living on a bus 24-7 and, and, you know, people are earning different 
different levels of income, then it gets complicated. And you start, you know, and then just personalities, man. It's, it's bound to, for anybody you live with, there's going to be trouble, right? I agree. I, agree. So, I get it. But anyway, at, at the end of the day, I love all of them, and it's, it's, a, it's a brotherhood. And, and I'll never have that relationship with anybody else in my life because that was a pretty intense couple of years, three years, where you're on tour and you're kind of, you, we, we were kind of like, mildly famous we never got to the definitely for bon jovi level but enough to where you know yeah. walking down the right right street you might get recognized you know i remember the, my first brush with any kind of uh, notoriety was i was just walking down the street in queens you know i was living in flushing at the time and me and my buddy bill bush uh, we're just walking down the street to go to the grocery and these two younger girls passed by and, and she, and they, they look at, they look at me. And say, you look like Andy Timmons. And I go, well, I, she, she goes, I, I go, I am. She goes, yeah. And I may scream. Like she, she couldn't believe that I was this guy, right? So that yeah. was, you know, it's like what? That's an interesting feeling. What, what, but anyway, all, all that to say with that, it's like at the end of the day, it, it's. It, but it really wasn't why I wanted to play guitar. I just, yeah. I just love, I love that the artistic and uh, musician side of it. And that's what I continue to do today. So that's very fond memories. We did a re- we did a, re- a set of reunion gigs a few years ago. And maybe, maybe we'll do it again. We'll see. I, ne- I never say never, so. That'd be awesome. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because um, I, used to, I, I used to live in Bergen County. Um, we had the Bergen oh, yeah. Mall. And Ted and Bruno are from that area, so they would constantly be walking around the mall with the black leather jacket with the Danger Danger logo on the back. <laughs> And people are flying I, I, I live with Ted um, in '89, so we probably that was probably the mall we we had gone to. Yes. If there was a Chick Fil A, if there was a Chick Fil A there, that was the one. No, I don't think Chick Fil A exists. <laughs> well, no, that was Paramus Park. Paramus Park had okay, the Chick Fil A. Right. Okay, you're you're asking. It was Paramus. You're right. Right. But they hit all the malls. They were at every mall you with the jacket. Know, you, well, yeah. Well, if you're gonna get recognized, yeah, the mall girls, yeah. Yeah, and if you can wear the jacket that says "Danger DD" on the back, that helps too. I, yeah, I, I've still got it, man. I've still got my jacket. So, I mean, you might you might catch me at the, at the Bergen Mall then next sun, next Saturday. That would be awesome. Well, the, well, the demographic might look a little different these days. <laughs> <laughs> they, pro- we, they probably still have the same haircut though. The yes. same haircut. The little front flip, you know. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. You know, um, I, I got a tough question for you. Um, Danger, Danger, Cockroach, right? Ben shared um, two versions of the same album, one with Ted singing and the other with Paul Lane singing. Um, yep. How did that transpire? What was the reaction for both of them? And which did you like better? Can you pinpoint one? I, lo- I love both of them. Yeah, um, yeah the, the, the band was falling apart. You know, the industry was changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ted had issues with Steven Bruno. There was a lawsuit, and he left the band. So the label was just like, well, let's let's redo because the record was finished. Let's re, you know find a new singer. Let's just redo the redo the redo the vocals. And so that's Paul, Paul Lane came in when we were mixing up in uh, the studio in Moore Heights, famous uh, Canadian studio. And that's the only day that I met him. He was coming to do the vocals. I had done some acoustic guitar on the the. the bonus track that's on the Paul version, Time in a Bottle. Mm-hmm. And, but I, yeah, because Ted is, Ted, nobody sounds like Ted. True. I mean, he's, he's such a unique voice. And to me, that's the sound of Danger Danger. I agree. Paul Lane's got a voice that I love too. And I think he did a phenomenal job. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it was just, it was a very unfortunate time because of course the record then just eventually got shelved because of the lawsuits and the industry changing and that was that was the turning point in my life and my career because i thought why would i work so hard on something 
that doesn't belong to me. They made it impossible for us to get the rights to the record. Oh, wow. Wow. And thank you so much for your time. And uh, I just, real quick, I, I like Danger, I like Ted Poley when he sang like the fun party songs. And I like Paul more on the songs that were more emotional and heartfelt. That, that's my personal opinion. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, Afraid of Love is a great Paul Lane track. Exactly, exactly. He's kind of well, got that. He's got that David Coverdale kind of really. Yep, pulls you in. Yeah, great. But I well, love, I love, I love both those guys. Great singers, really, really wonderful. Yes. Thank you so much for your time. Awesome interview. Very insightful. Very inspiring. Thank you very much. Robert, thank you. Well, hopefully, we'll have more time next time. Sounds it's good, buddy. Sorry to cut it, cut it off. No thank worries. Bye bye. Okay. For all our listeners, a reminder that Andy Timmons' new studio record, Electric Truth, will be out on April 1st on Mascot Records. Also, remember, this interview is available on several platforms, including YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and, of course, on our websites and social media sites. To close up, here's the first single from Andy's new album. This is Earth, Wind, and Fire. Thank you. 